the weeks leading into Christmas, as we've been doing, we're dealing with this concept of Christmas spirit. And this, week top, this week's topic, what we're going to deal with, is the topic of hope. Now, imagine with me for a minute that you are an employer and you're hiring a new employee. So you're, you're doing the interview, right? You sat down in the interview with this person and you asked them, you said, tell me a little bit about yourself. And the person just started to say, well, I have a can't-do attitude. I always find problems with everything. I get very discouraged when things don't go the way I think they should. I really only want to work here because I need a paycheck. And I have trouble getting along with pretty much everyone. Oh, yeah, and my home life is unsatisfying. Um, would you hire that person? You probably wouldn't. And here's why. I think we can narrow it down to this. They seem hopeless, right? They seem hopeless. They're sitting in front of you telling you all the negative ways that they look at life. And I'm not sure someone like that would actually be a good worker because when they're hopeless, they're not really looking at life in the way that they should. Not only that, if you're around a hopeless person enough, it's kind of depressing, isn't it? When you're around somebody that's negative and hopeless, it's kind of depressing. So in this case, as an employer, right, you have a choice. Don't hire the person, you don't have to deal with them. But in many relationships in life, we don't have a choice, right? Some of us are surrounded by people that have no hope. They're surra we're surrounded by hopeless people and we can't seem to get away. So what I want to do today is really twofold. The first is teach you how you can have hope even when the people around you and sometimes the world around you seems very hopeless. So I want to teach you how you can continue to have hope even in a hopeless generation, so to speak. And the second thing is I want to teach you how you can share the Christmas spirit of hope with other people teach you how you can share the Christmas spirit of hope with other people. So let's start with having hope around hopeless people. Now, their hopelessness should not affect us because of this first truth. Jesus offers salvation. Jesus offers salvation. So 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So this is really telling us about the gospel. The fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the fact that Jesus said that all who believe will have eternal life. See, Jesus offers us the gift of salvation. He offers us the gift of salvation when we trust in him, when we believe. Because of what Jesus has done, we were born into what the scriptures say here, a living hope, meaning it's real, meaning it's alive, meaning it's active in the life of the believer because he's given us his Holy Spirit. So the moment that you trust in Jesus as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit, the living hope. So when people spew out their hopeless thoughts, their beliefs, their ways of living, 
we, that doesn't affect the fact that we still have hope. You, you could be around people in work or in school or in your neighborhood or in your family, and they spew out what they believe, right? They spew out what they believe, and sometimes it gets you down. It's depressing, but we have a living hope. We have the gospel message. Jesus offers us salvation. There's nothing anybody could say over the course of human history that actually changes what Jesus has done for you and I and the offer that he has for anyone who has not believed yet. The next is this. Their hopelessness should not affect us because this life is temporary. Now, I know we talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about thankfulness, but this life is temporary. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 says this. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, in this life, we might be tempted to feel hopeless. Even as a believer, because we look at the things that are seen rather than unseen. Right? We look at the things that are seen rather than unseen. So this verse points out, our outer self is wasting away. And some of you are like, amen. Okay? We, we look in the mirror, right? We look in the mirror. I mean, it, it, it just becomes very real to us, right? We look, my dad always used to say, he's like, I don't feel that old. But then I look in the mirror and say, who's that guy? Okay? The truth is, our outer selves are wasting away. If you, if you want to prove that evolution is not real, okay, or not true, our outer selves are wasting away. Things are not getting better, right? They're actually getting worse. So for the believer, it's a reminder to focus in on our spiritual lives. You know, you can get all vain. You see these people in Hollywood, people that you grew up watching on TV, right? And you see them and they were used to seeing themselves on TV. And what do they do, right? They go do all that work, right? So they look better and you're like, I don't look better, okay? <laughs> Because what are they focused on? They're focused on the outer, right? And when that outer starts to waste away, they, they have no hope. What am I supposed to do? I don't look like a young, beautiful actress or a young, handsome actor anymore. What am I going to do? I'll tell you what you're going to do. Focus in on the spiritual, the things that are important, th the things that are unseen, so to speak. So for the believer, this is a reminder, focus in our spiritual eyes because we can move forward in our new life in Jesus. And the culmination of that is when we pass from this life to the next. Okay? That's the culmination. That's when we're made perfect. The band Switchfoot in their song, Where I Belong, sing about the believer's heavenly home. The song has this line that when I first heard it, it stuck with me. It's, he says this, this skin and bones is a rental. That's what he says. This skin and bones is a rental. Well, what do you do with a rental? You turn it back in, right? You turn it back in. When I heard that, I was like, that is such a perfect line. I just have a rental, okay? And I'm going to turn it back in. And guess what? I'm not going to have to live with this body. 
one day we're going to turn this physical body in and we're going to dwell where we belong because guess what? This life is temporary. We belong with Jesus in heaven. We may also be tempted to feel hopeless in situations like this verse points out. Momentary afflictions. You know what Paul teaches us? These things prepare us or focus us on the fact that this life is temporary. And there's not going to be anything like this in eternity. All the problems, all the troubles, all the pain, all the sorrows, all the tears that we experience in this life that we're not insulated from. If anybody ever tells you, oh, believe in Jesus and everything's going to be all right in this life, is not really preaching what the scriptures actually teach. Because the scriptures actually teach there will be troubles and, tri and trials and tribulations. But those things are a constant reminder that I don't belong here. This life is temporary. I'm going to a place where these things will not happen. These things are transient, but the unseen is eternal. Which brings us to their hopelessness. Their hopelessness should not affect us because we face challenges with help from Jesus. So now you and I, as believers, we deal with some of the same things, many of the same things as the unbelievers do. Sickness, death, uh, financial problems, relational problems. We deal with all these things. But the difference between us and those who don't believe is we face the challenges of life with the help from Jesus. So if you're hopeless about a situation, guess what? You got the God of this universe in your corner to give you hope. But here's what happens. A lot of times we don't turn to him, do we? So let's see what 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 14 says. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. This is Paul talking to them about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, what's going on? When we are grieving or going through something difficult, we should not approach that like the world does, because they have no hope. The challenge that the believers Paul was teaching them was this, was concerning those who have already died, those who have already fallen asleep. They were like, what happened to them? And Paul was like, don't grieve like those who don't have hope because your believing loved one is actually in eternity, in heaven with Jesus. Because they trust in Jesus, they moved from death to life. You know, I've spoken at way more funerals than I would ever have wanted to speak at. And a funeral is never easy for anyone except for the believer that dies that's in the coffin, okay? That's the easiest job for in the funeral, the believer that's already in heaven, okay? The rest of us, it's tough because you're losing someone you love. So when I speak at a funeral of someone that I know was a believer, it's so much easier because I could look and say, you know what? So-and-so is in glory right now. I knew this person. I talked to this person. I know what they believed. But you know what? A lot of times the phone will ring Either Pastor Steve or me will get a call from one of the local funeral homes that need a Baptist pastor, okay? Somebody passed away that probably never went to really any church or anything, 
And uh, they're like sitting in the, and you've been there if you buried a loved one, sadly, where they say, who do you want to do the funeral? And they're like, we don't go anywhere. We don't know anybody. So call the local church, right? So they call us and you get there and you don't know the person. You don't know if they were a believer. You hope and pray that they were. But then we look and say, my mission here is to give hope to all these people. My mission here is to tell them about Jesus. Because if this person didn't believe in Jesus, sadly, it's too late. So here's where the struggle is. Because when we preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus, if anyone is sitting in that crowd and actually thinking and engaging and know the person that's in that coffin and know that that person did not believe that, they're thinking, based upon what this guy is saying, my relative's in real trouble. And there's nothing that they can do or we can do on this side of eternity to change that. It's a very difficult situation. So when we go to do funerals, we're not like, yes, I got to preach at a funeral. We're like, oh man, this is tough because I want to give hope to the people that are there. But there's going to be people that have a lot of questions about the person that is no longer with us. Thankfully, for most of you, you won't ever have to speak at a funeral of an unbeliever. But you're still called to bring hope to others. And that's the second thing I really want to teach you this morning. How you can share the Christmas spirit of hope with other people. So in order to share the hope we have, the first thing is we have to speak hope. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Listen, people have questions. And for the most part, there are answers. Okay? People have questions. For the most part, there are answers. The call of the believer is to study and learn and find out the answers. Again, how long have I been banging this drum for, right? The steady diet of God's word. The more you're in God's word, the more you actually know, the more you're actually able to give an answer or a maybe defense for the hope that is in you. This seems like an overwhelming task. Sometimes people shut down at this point, like, I'm not going to know everything, so I'm just going to send them to your office, okay? I'm not going to know anything, so I'm just going to tell them to talk to that other Christian that I know that knows more. Don't look at this as an overwhelming task. Look at this as an opportunity to learn and grow in your faith. Look at it as an opportunity to learn and grow in your faith. The more you learn, the more you grow in your faith, the closer you get to the Lord, the more opportunities you actually have. So some people say, well, where do I start? Where do I start? Okay. Well, I mean, a good place, obviously, to start is just getting into the word daily because then you just like just learn every day. You're like, oh, I never knew that. I never knew that. And you start to learn. But a great place to really start as well is Get your questions answered. If you have a question, I can guarantee that someone you know has that same question, okay? And there's probably scores of people that have that same question because nothing new 
under the sun, right? We all have the same questions. So what I would say is, you know, write down a list of your questions and study to find out the answers. And guess what? Here's what happens. When you do that, when you actually have a question, you actually really dig deep to get the answer. You want to know what the multiple answers are, what the debates are. On our website and on our app, we have this little resource link. There's a bunch of online resources that you can go to that will help you with those questions and help you get some answers. Because here's what happens. When you have those questions and then you seek out and get those answers, they become part of you. And now all of a sudden when somebody asks you a question, you don't have to say, I'll get back to you on that. You can say, yeah, I've struggled with that too. And you know, in all honesty, I mean, we have to be real about the fact that there are some questions that the answers are not gonna be known to us until we're in our heavenly home. So don't be ashamed to say that. That's a good question. I have that question too. And I don't believe that we have the answer through the scriptures. And chances are, if you have a question like that, I don't think there's an answer from any type of ideology or belief system, okay? If you have that type of question. The more you dig into the word, the more you learn, the more you learn, the more you grow, the more you have answers, the more you're able to make a defense for the hope that's in you. Now, the last line is so important. With what? Gentleness and respect. Remember, knowledge can puff up. Knowledge can puff people up. So we need to be sensitive to the fact that everyone we talk to are at a different place in their spiritual journey. They're at a different place in their spiritual journey. So if they do not know much, we need to be very gentle with them. Start with some of the basics. You know, sometimes we get so immersed in our Christian culture and the Christians around us, we think, oh, that's simple. You don't know that. Well, you know, the thing is, everybody's on a different spiritual journey. So be gentle with them. If they're against or anti what the word says, this is the challenge for the believer, isn't it? Be respectful. They might not be respectful to us, but that doesn't change the fact that I'm going to be respectful to them. Because I answer to God, and God wants me to act in a certain way. They will answer to God. They don't think they do now, so they might not be very respectful. They might mock us. They might try to argue with us. So now that you've spoke hope, the next is you need to share hope by how you live. Live hope. Because now, okay, you're going to work. You're going to school. You're with your family and friends. And you, you speak a good game. But guess what? Game's on now when they're watching you, okay? They have their eyes on you, and you better believe, especially if they're the anti-people, you better believe they are looking for you to slip up. They want nothing more than to prove that Jesus isn't real and Christians are phonies and hypocrites, and they want you to be the poster child for that. And I don't want you to be that. I don't think you want you to be that. So here's what Titus says. And this is interesting, too, because as I was praying about this sermon and as I was studying stuff, I was listening to my devotions. Uh, the, I guess it was like maybe like Wednesday morning. I was like, I really need a good passage for living out our hope. And guess where I happened to be in my devotions that morning? 
Titus chapter 2. I was like, dang. I was like, look at that. What a coincidence, right? Okay? It wasn't. So here's what it says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So people are watching how we live, especially if we're speaking hope to people, especially if we're speaking the gospel, especially if we're witnessing the people. They want to know, is this person legit? What they believe, is it legit? Can I test this? Can I trust this? Because we live in a world where, you know, you turn on TV, you go on YouTube, you go, who can you trust? You know what I mean? Who can you really trust? Everybody's looking for like the clickbait to get you into their news feeds and this and that. And you're like, oh, I read that. And then that wasn't even true, right? So this verse tells us God's grace that provides salvation trains us to not live like the world lives, trains us to not live like the world lives, but to be self-controlled, to be upright, to live in view of God and his word, because we're waiting for the blessed hope, Jesus coming back. So if you think your job's done, maybe you were at work and you had a great opportunity to talk to somebody about the Lord and they became a Christian and that's awesome. You're like, I'm done, okay? Nope, you're still here. Jesus hasn't come back yet, so you still have work to do. We don't know how much time we have on this earth. So as believers, we should use the time to bring glory to God and share the hope we have with other people. The more we live out our faith, the more we live out our faith, the more people will be inspired by our faith. The more they know it's real in our lives and the more they see that we can live by hope. I mean, think about it. If you're a believer and you're like, oh, you know, I have faith in Jesus and this and that, and then something terrible happens in your life and you crumble and you don't cling to your faith and you don't cling to the strength that you have in Christ, all the non-believers around you are going to be like, what about that faith you were talking about? Like, doesn't that have anything to do with this? Doesn't that have anything to do with what you're actually going through right now? Or is that compartmentalized? Is that a box over there? Is that the Sunday box that you check off and say, okay, I went there. I think Jesus is happy with me because I did that. It's a daily thing. Now, the final way that we can share hope brings us to the Christmas season. Brings us to the Christmas season, and that is this. We celebrate hope. We celebrate what we know about Christmas that actually gives us hope. Now, there are three things that we, we can celebrate about Christmas and share with others, because Christmas is a great time for believers, isn't it? Christmas is a great time for us because we have these few weeks where, for some reason, and I know the reason, people are spiritually sensitive. People are willing to maybe, you know, take you up on the invite, willing to listen a little bit more this time of year. It's a very spiritual time of year. This and Easter time are the, the times that, you know, a lot of people are starting to think. They, they're thinking about family and friends and relationships, and they're thinking about, you know, spiritual things. So the first thing we celebrate, the first hope that we celebrate is fulfilled promises. It says, 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 700 years before Jesus came to this earth, God, through the prophet Isaiah, made this promise. And he told his people that the virgin shall be with child and conceive and call his name Emmanuel. In fact, when you dig deeper and deeper, it's not just the promises of Christmas, right? The life of Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. So when you start to go down the rabbit hole of prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, here's what happens. You start to realize that, wow, okay, this is not just some coincidence, thank you, coincidence or some kind of occurrence that, oh, wow, we can piece this together. This is something that God ordained. Becomes more challenging, right, because people don't know the Bible. People don't know the scriptures. So it becomes more challenging. That means we have to dig a little deeper. We have to learn a little bit more. So at Christmas, we celebrate that God keeps his promises. And because of that, we can celebrate the promises that God makes to his believers in his word. So not only do we share these promises, but we can celebrate in our own life. Like if God kept that promise... Why doesn't he, why wouldn't he keep the promises that he's going to keep me strong? He's going to guide me. He's a good God. Whatever those promises for the believer are in the situation that you're actually in, I can celebrate that. I know that God has promises and he's a God who fulfills his promises. The next thing that we celebrate that we could share to bring hope to other people is Miracles do happen. Miracles do happen. Luke 2, 30 through 31 says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The biggest miracles of Christmas is this, right? It is the fact that the virgin was with child and called his name Jesus. The fact that Jesus was born of a virgin is a miracle, and it does show that God performs miracles. Or, in other words, it shows that God makes the impossible, right, to us, possible. Now, the entire account of Jesus' birth really is a miracle. And since God is capable of doing the impossible, he's capable of doing the impossible in your life. Now, some people discount the Christian faith, because they don't believe in miracles. I can't believe that. Okay, I can't believe that. The Sadducees were like that. I can't believe in those type of spiritual miracles. But then the explanations they offer for the things that happen almost seem like that would have to be a miracle as well. You get that? Okay, their explanation, it, it's, it's almost like a miracle as well. So the question that we have to answer then for every person, is who causes these miracles? Okay, if it's not God, who is it? Okay, if it's not God, who is it? Is it luck? Is it chance? Who is it? See, God today still performs miracles. He today still performs miracles. You have a health problem. The doctors are able to heal you. Guess what? Shake those doctors' hands, thank them, but it was still a miracle from God. It wasn't just the doctors. It's a miracle from God that he gave the human brain the ability to figure out 
how to help people in certain situations. It's a miracle. You have a marital problem. You get counseling to guide you in fixing the issues. That's a miracle. Two sinners living in the same house, right? Working out a problem. That's a miracle. Do you have something in your life that you need to overcome? God helps you and delivers you from that. That's a miracle. It's a miracle because in and of yourself, you couldn't conquer that. The circumstances that led you to trusting in Jesus or got you back on track spiritually, miracle, right? It's a miracle. See, sometimes we get so in our head about things that we forget the spiritual components that are happening, what God is actually doing, the small miracles that every day that we take for granted that God is doing. So the account of Jesus, it just is a constant reminder. Miracles do happen. Nothing is impossible with God. There are no accidents or coincidences in God's kingdom. There are miracles. The final thing that we celebrate is this. Everyone stops to observe Christmas. And I'm going to say everyone mostly, in parentheses. Everyone mostly, right, stops to observe Christmas. Back to Matthew 2, like we talked about last week. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. These men, they stopped what they were doing to go find this important baby, the Savior. They stopped what they were doing. Even today, Christmas is a special day for the unbelieving world. Right? The whole season. I mean, you know, we have other holidays like throughout the year and stuff. But what other holiday really encompasses like what Christmas does? The whole kind of community, the whole country, the whole world in many senses. They kind of get caught up in this whole ramp up. I caught a little bit on TV the lighting of the Christmas tree in New York City. Anybody else watch that? One of the things that was so encouraging to me was, you know, I mean, they have all the performers and all the different stuff, but one of the artists sang, Oh, Holy Night, like we sang this morning, which we all know the lyrics, right? The night that Christ was born. National TV. I didn't really think that was going to happen, to tell you the truth. I didn't, you know what I mean? We get the Here Comes Santa Claus and the Jingle Bells and stuff like that, but to still hear the night that Christ was born on TV, over the airways, to be proclaimed the thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Think about that. Over the airwaves, most people stop. They close their businesses. They take a day off of work to observe Christmas. There's generally a spiritual sense and feeling on Christmas Day. It's even hard for the believer to explain sometimes that spiritual sense and feeling of that day. And it all points to the hope that we have in Jesus. So this Christmas season, share this Christmas spirit of hope with those around you. Don't let their hopelessness affect you. Keep telling them. 
Keep living in view of that hope and keep celebrating the hope that we have in Jesus.